Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're here to talk about uh, Ember Newsy things. It sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Like, I never say no, that. No, that's good. Newsy, newsy things, man. It's great. Newsy type things, actually, I think is what we have in our notes. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's get down to it. Yeah, let's dive in. Uh, so the first thing we're going to talk about is actually uh, we're going to do a little correction corner here and uh, take some time to uh, correct last week's episode specifically. Uh, we incorrectly cited uh, Matthew Beal as the author of the blog post. Uh, this is an honest mistake, though, because uh, it was Tom Zellman, who is the author, posting to Matthew Beal's blog. So uh, so I feel like uh, we should have paid closer attention, um, but... Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, Tom Zellman is a really cool dude. He's been working on the survey uh, quite a bit uh, at 201, and uh, I've actually been able to kind of uh, jump in and see a little bit of the work he's been doing and, and provide some comment stuff uh, to the to the survey, and he's been doing an amazing job. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we attributed him because he's doing some really cool stuff. So thanks, Tom, and uh, sorry for <laughs> mentioning it in the wrong episode. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about, uh, I guess the first non-correction thing we want, how, how do we want to how do we want to break this down, down Chase? Uh, actual newsy things versus corrected newsy things. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, so the first actual newsy thing is uh, basically uh, a really cool way to um, to better utilize your integration tests. So uh, there's a new add-on called Ember Native DOM Helpers. I think, Chase, you just said it was like nine days old. Oh yeah, nine days. So that's, I mean, and this is, it's Saturday right now. So yeah, it's probably like 12 days old for you. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, so, um, so it's, uh, an effort by Miguel Kamba and Bill Heaton. And, uh, basically it gives you fill in, click trigger event, key event, and find inside of your, um, your component integration tests. And I think there's, uh, actually, um, some more work that's being done now. I, I was following along with the thread in the announcements channel in Slack, and it looks like um, Bill is actually working on an, another thing, another couple of, uh, of features. Um, but it's really cool, and it does a lot of uh, interesting things that, um, like, for instance, a click event. This is actually, um, in the readme, it's really a good example. Uh, a click event doesn't fire just a click event. It actually fires mouse down, focus, mouse up, and then click in that order. And you really want all of those things to happen. So if you're trying to like accurately represent it, but you're just using like this dot buck, you know, find element dot click, it's not necessarily going to do exactly the right thing. And it's not going to behave exactly like a user input would, uh, would be handled. Um, although, uh, you know, it's still a little bit fuzzy because uh, Chase brought up a good point that like, for instance, like the, I mean, the browser does a lot of stuff, right? So uh, for instance, when you click, uh, something you actually have to fire an on blur or no the, the blur effect for the folk the the previously focused element in addition to the mouse down focus mouse up click right yeah so i was i was just doing this in a uh in an acceptance test so it's a little a little different but even there it doesn't it doesn't do this if you're in a you're in an input and you're like either tabbing through or clicking through and you end up on a calendar input and you're trying to say oh and the calendar shows up and i select a value and the calendar goes away if you were doing that, you don't want to do that in every test. A lot of times you can just, you know, set the value of the input. But in, in, in a case where you're trying to actually get that thing to show up and then put a value in and make it go away when you tab out or click out, um, the you need the blur event of that calendar input to fire. And it, it, it does, seems like this one doesn't. And I know that the acceptance tests weren't working without manually firing the blur of that field. Um, so you, in both of them, you still need to blur sometimes. Yeah, so you just need to you need to be aware that like a lot of things happen. Like the browser is is going to trigger a lot of events, and I think this does a really good job of getting you most of the way there for 
uh, like common interactions. So if you have behavior that happens on mouse down um, and you want that to uh, to happen, you don't have to do dot trigger and then pass it some jQuery event and then give it a name of like mouse down or whatever. Like you don't have to do all of that uh, jump through hoops. You just kind of get it to work and you get to call click. Also, um, I know that, you know, there's still this promise of the grand testing unification, I think, which is why um, libraries like this haven't existed before. Um, but you know, in the interim, I think these, these are really good steps to try to unify, uh, some of the testing, uh, styles between integration tests and acceptance tests. Like I know for, for instance, like I very frequently like tr try to type fill in before I remember that I'm in an integration test and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Um, let me do this a different way. So it's really neat. I, I definitely recommend you take a look at it. I think having a unified story around how to do testing is really, really neat. So I'm excited about this add-on. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I think that there's a lot of room for making the testing story like really streamlined between acceptance and integration tests because there's so much in common. So I'm really excited to see this. Um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, it's uh, run loop aware, which is really cool. So it, uh, that each helper um, automatically spawns uh, run loop. So you don't have to wrap um, any interaction or every interaction with uh, ember.run. And um, it does wait by default. So if you, uh, in your test, you say async function assert, uh, in, in, inside that test block, you could say await click button and it will like wait for it. So you can, you can kind of do your assertions in this really cool way. Um, so I think it looks really nice and it seems like a, like a huge win, honestly. So this is um, Bill Heaton and Miguel Kamba are working on this, Cybernox um, and Pixel Handler. The next thing we're going to talk about is some test-driven development. These are some videos that were put out by Torn Billups like last week. They go over a few different things. Uh, the first one is over-mocking in tests. The second one is like deleting tests. Basically, you have, you have too many tests, and, and how how to know that the you know how to know that you have that problem. Um, and they basically just go down a bunch of different kind of testing-related problems that you might have. And the other interesting thing about these is that they um, you know they they're they're about a specific thing like the over-mocking case. But they, uh, Torrent does a really good job of explaining like 20 different things all in this, the purpose of this. So you like, he explains some Vim things, he explains just general tech, testing practices. Um, so they're all uh, really interesting. Um, they're, they're relatively short, like, you know, eight to 10 minutes. Um, and there's, I don't know, like six of them. Uh, so, you know, go through them and, you know, check it out. Yeah, I really like these. The, they remind me of uh, Destroyal Software, like in their pacing and the fact that there's some crazy Vim tricks. Like as I was going through the first episode, I was like, oh, hey, I didn't know about that. What was the, it was a find and replace uh, plugin for Vim. And I was like, oh, that looks amazing. Um, uh, Cause I've been using um, like the the argument list or buff do or whatever. And like you iterate over each one doing a regular find and replace, it's it's a nightmare. Um, but that's super cool. And and then also like as you go, you you find more and more about these uh, this this problem, and then eventually it culminates in the solution. So um, I think they're really good. I I <laughs> I was hopeful that there would be a lot more of these um, like over the course of the next little while. But uh, Torin reached out and said that he's uh, not planning on doing those for a little while because he's uh, his his time is being booked for other things. Um, I think a talk or something like that. Um, but I think he does have plans on doing more uh, in this year. So um, so I'm actually pretty excited to see it. I really I really like this format. I think the the speed and the pacing is right to where you can uh, stay very attentive the entire duration and. Uh, and not get lost. Um, so anyways, uh, check these out. I, I wholeheartedly recommend them. Uh, I think they're uh, pretty good, especially if you're 
right on that edge of like, you know, you're testing all the time and you're really excited about it and you want to, you want to take it to the next level. I think that's the, that's the perfect spot for these. And the next thing we have is a blog post that was uh, put out a couple weeks ago by Tobias Binyak. And this is uh, super interesting. It's about something that you might've heard about. And that's that uh, Ember CLI is trying to get rid of Bower's dependency. Uh, and this is, uh, I guess, coming, you know, going to come to fruition. I already did. 2.12, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's 2.12, uh, the beta. Uh, and I'm pretty sure because uh, I actually booted up an app the other day and I realized that my Bower file was empty and that uh, because I had installed NVM in between, um, I didn't have the global Bower installed and I was able to get my app running. And then eventually I was like, oh, I need to pull in uh, Bootstrap, I think. Um, and I was going to do it manually. And uh, and I was like, oh, hey, let me Bower install this. And it's like, Bower's not a command. And I was like, whoa, like that mind blown GIF. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. like it's so cool. So yeah, it was really neat. I'm pretty sure it's 2.12 though. It might be 2.11, but I'm pretty sure it's 2.12. Yeah, so the deal is that in 2.11, um, there, there are no Bower dependencies, but in 2.12, Bower will no longer be installed as a dependency. Um, so oh. that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty nice. Um, it, if you've ever dealt with, you know, uh, Bower, like when you're writing an add-on, um, it's, it's always a little weird, you know, kind of importing things from Bower, uh, and dealing with the, the shims and things you have to create. Uh, and this is about, uh, what you have to do to basically, m most of this seems to be geared towards what you have to do as an add-on author to now get your add-on working with NPM dependencies rather than with Bower dependencies. Uh, and the, the, the main key uh, is that uh, you can't be you can't when Ember is building the tree for the distribution, you can't be pulling out of node modules. You can only pull out of vendor or Bower components or you know app or you know your your app folder, the thing that gets merged in from the add-on. Um, you can't pull out of node modules, and so the the first thing you have to do is you have to handle the tree for vendor hook and pull all the things out of node modules you need and put them somewhere. In, in this case, this is the tree for vendor, so this is going to be merged into the vendor directory. And then now your included hook uh, pulls them out of vendor rather than out of Bower components. Yeah, and I, I think I think that they're going to eventually make this uh, simpler. But right now, that involves you actually writing your own funnel. So you actually have to like write a funnel that uh, pulls out the pulls out the um, the thing that you want into a tree that you can then uh, use merge trees to merge the vendor tree and the uh, thing that you've pulled out. Um, your funnel and then basically later in the included hook you say this that import from vendor and then you have it there and, and by the time it gets to the included hook the tree for vendor has already been like run and you've already pulled the files from npm into here so i think this is going to be streamlined especially for add-on authors like there's probably going to be some um tool that gets uh, sent in as an argument to tree for vendor maybe um just I'm, i i don't know i'm not like an inside track here there's no inside knowledge here but probably something that makes that more convenient for add-on authors um to just say hey i want to get this tree off i want to go pull things from node modules and then i want to push them in but uh, before that the bower components and i think even maybe still if you have something listed in your bower json it's automatically put and made available in the tree by the time you get to the, uh, the included hook. So you can just say, hey, give me the like import from the Bower component thing. Um, and it just works. Um, but that's not the case with node modules. Is that, that That's the general 10,000 foot view, right, Chase? Uh, that's, that's what it seems like to me. I'm actually wondering now whether there is a, a performance uh, kind of win on this, because that means that your entire Bower components directory was already in the tree. Um, due, due, to, due to Broccoli though, this that may not actually be a problem because there's some like lazy evaluation that happens and, you know, maybe the app import, 
the ones that are this dot imported uh, are the only ones that actually get end up in the final tree. So maybe that doesn't actually become a problem. But it seems like um, the, the the input tree is much smaller now because you have to specifically say what node modules you want to be put in vendor. Uh, whereas, you know, importing all of Bower, not importing all of Bower, but having all of the Bower components directory as a tree already that you're pulling out of, um, seems like that would uh, at least symlinked all of them into uh, the other directories. So maybe cleanup would have taken a little bit longer or something. So Yeah, there, I, I mean, know, there could definitely have been performance wins. It's, that would be interesting to, to know. Um, but certainly there's like a reduction in, in overall complexity, although I guess I guess it's still doing that. So um, it's only a redu reduction in complexity if you don't use those things. Right. So yeah, check out the uh, this uh, this blog post. There's actually a lot more that goes on uh, below it about uh, other NPM dependency issues, um, how to do in in repo add-ons and stuff with this. So you know, check it out. It's a very very in-depth blog post. It actually you know, in my case, um, I don't write that many add-ons. Um, so it's it's interesting to kind of see this really top-level view of it, see how things have changed over time, and it you know definitely learn something. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, so the next thing we're going to talk about is, uh, I guess, a tweet and then also a library. Uh, the tweet is from David Laird, and he kind of asked us to uh, mention this uh, add-on, which I didn't I didn't have any experience with, um, but it's awesome, by Kelly Selden called Ember Awesome Macros. And um, there's also a, uh, a video um, from the Ember Seattle meetup, and uh, basically in it, Kelly walks through... Um, how uh, you might write some of these really crazy logicful templates. Logicful templates? Is that a word? I can say that, right? Logicful? Yeah. Mm, Anyways, when no, you start so. writing Lisp in your templates, um, whatever that is, and we've talked about that on the show a number of times. I kind of like it, but at a certain point in time, you have to like make a decision like, hey, like, is this actually like simple or is this going to take me a long time to understand? And he shows some examples of where you're like, yeah, that's probably too much. Um, and then he shows you um, you know, with all of that logic wrapped into computeds and it becomes simpler in the template. And then it becomes kind of this imperative code in the JavaScript, which is okay. Um, it's certainly like easy to understand and follow in the uh, debugger, which is a, a point that he made in the video. Uh, and then he shows the Ember Awesome macros, which are these composable macros that end up looking a lot like the list that we just took out of the template. And then you put them into the... Um, into the JavaScript context. And you get some really cool wins there. Um, one, you end up like kind of writing Lisp, which looks nice, and then the highly composable small functions that you can kind of interchange and interlock, uh, which is really neat. Um, and uh, I think Chase and I were talking about the discussion, like the, the, basically the rationale behind moving them. So if you're still gonna do that Lispy style in the JavaScript context, like what might be the, some of the benefits? And one is composability. Uh, and then two, I think probably more importantly, is that uh, the, they're just more testable. Like they're they're way, way more testable because you can write unit tests that illustrate like, hey, this particular configuration of these composable elements or composable functions, um, they output this given a specific input. And it's like testing becomes really, really simple and has a lot less overhead than trying to actually boot a little piece of DOM. Right. And that um, the, other, the other big deal is that uh, templates are much less mature than JavaScript. Like the Ember, Ember templates are only used by Ember right now. Uh, somebody's going to correct me on that at some point. But the, the you <laughs> know the the, the main uh, community that's inputting it, even though it, you know I think they're great, uh, there's not a ton of tools for you know linting them and you know giving you really good error messages. And there's other problems like um, if you have a syntax error in that template, 
uh, like because you're missing a parenthesis and you've got all these crazy nested parentheses, um, it, the template just doesn't compile. It doesn't tell you here's where the problem is necessarily. Some, sometimes it does if it's not actually a, a compile problem and it's just kind of like the template can compile but say, hey, there's a little bit of a weird problem here. But sometimes it just 100% loses the template and says, hey, you're missing this JavaScript file for the template. Uh, and that's a real pain to debug. Um, and so, so moving all of that complex logic out into JavaScript where you are going to get a very clear, like you're missing something right here, or I found a, I found a, most likely it's going to say, I, I found a, a, a comma and I expected a closed parenthesis. Um, yeah, and totally. you know, that's, that's much more valuable and, and easier to test and lint and manage than having a really big template. Yeah, but I mean, I still, I, I still say there's, there's trade-offs, right? So like at a certain point in time, like it, it's, it's nice to just say like, you know, if, uh, Eek foo one or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're the the small uh, truthy helpers is really nice. Yeah, I was I, I just this happened to me the other uh, just yesterday I think um, I had like a section that was like um, if this the the model is editing or this other value is true, um, then this this the template needs to be presented in a certain way, um, and that's fine with like two things, and it's also very clear because it's like there's a there's a property called is editing and there's a property called preview. Um, and I know that those two things are the reason why this thing shows, but now, um, if I had one more condition, which actually ended up happening, uh, I don't want all that. That's getting a little complicated. So I move it into the, into the component, but now when you're looking at the template, you really don't know what makes that thing true. You have to now look in the component. So it's like this indirection that it adds to it. So there is a trade off. Um, and sometimes it's better to have that in the template and sometimes it's better to have that in the component. Yeah. And I think I think it really has to do with like you know just some I don't know basic guidelines and also like just discretion in your own personal taste or your team's taste in you know where they prefer the logic to live um, because if everyone knows to look in the context first then it it makes little sense to put it into the template and vice versa so um, I feel like it's a it's a very discretionary but um, I either way I think these these uh, macros are really uh, useful I really like how composable they are. Um, so it's pretty sweet. I, th I think they're they're ostensibly just all pure functions, right? It, it looks like I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think all of them have to be, but they all have. They all start out with like a dependent key, um, something that mm. they're is their input. And so I was wondering because I don't see it in here. Um, if if it would make even make sense to have a pipe helper, um, so that you can do things like pipe one thing from one function through another through another, because there are some sections and it's it's hard to explain this, um, but you can nest these helpers, so it's not like they're all right. On, on the top level ob, um, object key of the the thing, like they're nesting concats or nesting a collect with a right, you know, yeah. a reduce or with this you know split. There's like you have to look at it to understand this, but there's a lot of nested uh, things that are happening. But they're all computed properties, which means they all get updated when any of their uh, keys change. Uh, but it'd be really cool yeah. to see this happen with a have the ability to have a pipe operator, so you don't have to do so much nesting and you can just kind of pipe them through. Yeah, but uh, it's super neat. Um, I definitely uh, recommend checking it out. And uh, um, I think that the YouTube video or the, the, the video from the Ember Seattle meetup uh, does a really good job of explaining kind of the rationale behind why they exist. So I think that's really great. So um, check out both of them. And thanks, David, for uh, pointing it out. All right, so thanks for listening to the end. Uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And uh, you can follow along with us at emberweekend.com, all one word. Wait, all one word? What What did I just do? Did I like, ma I just mashed, I mashed up the, I mashed up the, the uh, Ember Weekend website and the Twitter thing. Uh, you can I'm going to go get that uh, domain too, by the way. I'm going to get that domain, emberweekend, all one word. 
com. Dot com. Yes, <laughs> I, actually, probably is available. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Ember Weekend, all one word. Um, or you can follow us uh, at our website, emberweekend.com. Uh, and we have a feed there for uh, your podcast reader of choice at feed.xml. And uh, we will be back in a week with some more newsy stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.